Hello, America. We got a lot going on. The moderates took the stage last night. We couldn't find them. Did you? We looked. Yeah. Um, have you? We've got My researchers television, I on think, it. was broken. I kept seeing really hardcore <laughs> radicals. <laughs> right. Uh, but the moderates, the moderates. We go over the winners and losers of the Democratic, uh, uh, the, what do you call it, uh, debate. <laughs> I really care that much. Uh, the uh, debate, we go over the winners and losers. Uh, also, we give you some some technological updates on why you shouldn't ever put your hands up in a selfie. Why you should never make the peace sign. Why you should never give someone the finger. And it has nothing to do with political correctness. Also, Nick DiPaolo is here. We talk a little bit about the NBA. Got a really interesting email from somebody that really says, why are we doing this? Why are you even fighting? It's a lost cause. I, I bring you back to Columbus and the Pilgrims. And answer that letter. Also, whistleblower audio that has never been heard before. And Mike Rowe joins us. So don't miss a second of today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. had an amazing interview uh, last night with a whistleblower. It's a whistleblower on the other side. It's a whistleblower that uh, worked at the United... I'm sorry, at the uh, UK... Sorry, the Ukrainian embassy in Washington, D.C. And met the Democratic operative, Chalupa. Uh, It gave us some information last night that we had no idea. We recorded something last night. You saw the first 20 minutes of it live. Uh, on the TV show, and the entire 90-minute interview is going to be released this Saturday on a podcast. But this guy is a Ukrainian who knows all of the players, worked for Shokin, and then left because he didn't like the priorities of Shokin. So there's no love lost for Shokin. He has no reason to defend him. There's no, there's no, there's, there doesn't seem to be an agenda here. Um with this guy other than he would like the United States out of the business of Ukraine. We're going to tell you all about that and show you some of the things that we learned um, just on last night's broadcast in, in just a couple of seconds. First, I want to start with uh, the quote moderates taking back and uh, standing up to the extremists. Now they didn't call Elizabeth Warren, or Bernie Sanders, an extremist, didn't call either of them. What they did say is that the moderates came out. And, Stu, I don't know about you, but I've been trying to find the moderate ones in the debate. Uh, I haven't found them. Uh, That's because there are none, Glenn. Uh, They are only moderate in comparison uh, to each other in approach. In speed. In speed towards the same destination. In speed. You see this over and over and over again. For example, um, when it comes to... Uh, I thought the most clear example of it was the wealth tax. Yes, you know, The wealth too. tax is not your typical, like, oh, well, mm-hmm. God, we should make sure we restrict uh, guns for crazy people. This is a uh, a plan that most constitutional scholars say is unconstitutional it was specifically debated by the founders they specifically ruled it out so it's like you'd absolutely have to go against what they talked about during the founding it's been tested in the courts already and rejected 
they'd have to just you know it would have to be an activist court that would say it's a living document and now it means something else to justify the policy at its very base whether it would work or not is a totally different situation so what the wealth tax is in case you don't understand it's it goes beyond uh it taxing people's you know income that's an income tax this is a wealth tax so let's say you have uh, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank or a million dollars in the bank um and you not only have a million dollars in the bank but you also have some paintings you own a house worth a million dollars uh, you've got some jewelry. So let's say you're in the end, you're worth $3 million. Mm-hmm. Well, you'd fall into the wealth tax. Now, that's not your income tax. That is an accounting of everything that you own. So you own jewelry. You own a house. This is why those homes in uh, England, besides the fact that they were so huge you couldn't run them anymore. It took too many people to run them. But this is why people um, have gone broke in in England uh, and have lost all of those houses. One of the reasons is because you have to pay the property tax and the property tax is so high. Well, we understand that when it comes to property for a home, but we don't take that into consideration when it comes to, well, how many cars do you have? Do you have any jewelry? Do you have any art? How much say how much money do you have in savings? That's property. And so the wealth tax right. takes a, takes away 2% of whatever it is that you own, 2% you have to pay on the things that you've already bought, you already have. And by the way, you were already taxed on the money that you paid Correct. for it. So Correct. it would be a double tax. It's a tra- um, actually a triple tax because you, mm-hmm. you paid That's it true. when you earned it. Mm-hmm. Then you paid the tax when you bought it. Mm-hmm. Now, just to keep it, you have to pay a tax. Right. And the reason why it's relatively popular in polling, uh, particularly among Democrats, is it's just a punitive class warfare tactic. Yes. It's just saying... Hey, like these people are really rich. They don't need it. You do. So you should take their stuff. And look, I, you know, people don't feel bad for millionaires, right? So, you know, and it's understandable. However, there's so many problems with it. Number one being it's not constitutionally possible. Number two, um, it also has been tried and, and and give credit to Andrew Yang, who is the only person who seemed to even have the uh, the knowledge that it's been tried in multiple countries mm-hmm. and has been repealed by multiple european these the socialist countries they say they want to be like which you know if you ask these socialist countries they will tell you they are not socialist but the bernie sanders type of countries sweden and such have tried wealth taxes and repealed them because they don't work and they don't raise the amount of money that they thought they were going to raise right. um so with that being set up when you go, they went down the. Uh, they asked Elizabeth Warren about her wealth tax, and of course, she said how it's not going to hurt anybody, and it's going to raise enough money to give childcare to every child in America, plus free college and. Free, I mean, she went through this litany of things that there's absolutely no way this wealth tax would pay for, and then they went around the uh, the the. 47 people who were up there now. Here's what was really interesting because they say the the moderates took her on, no. They didn't take her on. No. What they what they said, and I, I wrote them down. They said things uh, like, um, I support it, but I endorse that idea, but that has to be part of the solution, but. So there, nobody was arguing this. Yeah, with the exception of Yang, yes. who, who was a notable exception here. But they will say, sure, that's a great thing we should do. However, 
we might not be able to get that done or we need to do my idea too or we need to do my idea first or whatever it is which which all those other ideas were all raised taxes as well just on different things and you realize that like here's a here's an an uh you know an, an issue that is outwardly unconstitutional and it's not just you know republican people saying that it is something that was specifically debated by the founders there's different types of taxation it's why we needed the 16th amendment in mm-hmm. the first place mm-hmm. to get the income tax because that was specifically debated and prohibited by the founders and we needed to amend the constitution good job guys to, to take uh, a, a chunk of your income every week with this is there is no amendment they just want to do it and they if can, you want to do it, you have to change the Constitution. Right. And they're not, but they have no interest in no, actually proposing an amendment. Pass. Right. They know it won't pass. Um, and they think now they've, they've abandoned the idea they need to change the Constitution. Now it's just we just do what we want to do because we really want it. It's, we don't really like millionaires, so we want to punish them. We want to take money away from them. And you could think that this is a good idea or a bad idea, but either way, it's not allowed under our system. No matter what you feel, if you feel really passionate that we got to take 2% of everybody, every millionaire's uh, savings, that's great. Every Every year. year. Right? Um, That's wonderful. However, you can't do it. So we can't even find someone who would even say that. Look, the wealth tax is an interesting idea, and, you know, the millionaires do have too much money. However, it's, you know, been shown in the courts to be unconstitutional. It's not something that we could get past. We should do these things. I don't think you didn't even get that. It was all that. Yes, that's great, but I don't think we can we can get right. it done politically. Well, here's the here's the interesting thing to show you how extreme things are. This is the New York Times. Now, remember, um, uh, we were extremists in the Tea Party because we were calling for a revolution. Remember that we were calling for a revolution. We were anti-government people because we wanted to change the government. Okay. That's how they they said everybody who was for the Constitution just live with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Just enforce that. That was politically radical. That was a revolution uh, that was uh, dangerous. That was crazy, people thought. Here's the New York Times. They said that while Bernie Sanders on one side, is calling for, and I'm quoting, a political revolution. On the other side of Biden, Warren is calling for massive structural changes in our country. Okay. Uh, Wow. Those are probably pretty big. Just you're admitting now that this is a political revolution. And they said, and Biden is stuck between the two of them. And his argument is, look, I'm the only one that's gotten big things done. Okay, so he's the moderate. Mm -hmm. And according to the Times, his argument is, look, you guys can't get it done. I'm the only one that can get it done because I've gotten big things done before. What you're talking about, Bernie, is political revolution. And you, uh, Elizabeth, don't have enough uh, information in your so-called plans to be able to make anything happen. You have to tell people the truth. And I'm the guy who can tell the truth. Joe Biden, I'm the guy who can tell the truth because I've gotten things done like health care when we told everybody that there would be no increase uh, of their premiums and it would actually help them and save them all twenty five hundred dollars. 
I'm the guy to tell them the truth. Yeah, the argument really is I'm the guy who can lie convincingly. I'm the guy who can say we're not really going for the thing at the end of the road. We're only going for the thing halfway down the road, even though we all know we're going for the end of the road eventually. Uh, anyway. Did you see the real the, the spat between the two of them, between Elizabeth Warren and yeah. Joe Biden, where uh, uh, Joe Biden said, basically, I'm the only one. In fact, Elizabeth, I'm the one who got people to vote for your cute little idea. <laughs> I'm the one who did it. And she... There was a big, awkward silence. Yeah, and- there's a lot of accusations of sexism in this moment. Um, oh, jeez. That's, yeah, that's the I big thing everyone ran to. You've got to be kidding. Oh, yeah, because he was talking down to a woman. He was, he was mansplaining how he, you know, he was able to accomplish uh, this, and it was her little idea. Um, well, and- but it's true. She went on and she said, I want to thank President Obama for uh, helping uh, rally the votes for this, basically leaving him out. He got very, very testy. To me, he showed um, he showed the Hillary face last night. What are you doing? Don't you know that I'm the selected candidate? Mm, that's interesting. I mean, look, Biden did work the Senate all hard on a lot of he these did. big initiatives and deserves some credit, though, for that particular bill. I don't know how involved. I've read reporting that he was not all that involved in that particular did, what, bill. What I took away from this is he is... He is, while she's getting the rap on stage as, uh, you know, Elizabeth plans are the only ones that work. My plan is the only plan that works. Mm-hmm. I've got a plan for everything. Okay. His, his uh, overall message, to me at least, I felt was, don't you understand? It's my turn. Don't you understand? I'm the only one that can win with you guys. Yeah. And uh, you have to have me. That's amazing because you have to be, I mean, if you're being honest with yourself and you're a Democrat and you're thinking to yourself, we need to get Donald Trump out of office. We need one of these people to beat them. No wonder they're so passionate about impeachment. I mean, this is not a good field. Biden can barely get through a sentence. And he has, he he has, he has real, real problems. Warren though, is so tailor made for Donald Trump. It's incredible. She is stilted. She's stiff. She's robotic. She's, she's repetitive. She has a deer in headlights look every single time she's pushed. What do you think Donald Trump's going to do to her on a debate mm-hmm. stage? It's going I, to be devastating. I have to tell you, um, Joe Biden is going to be just, he'll, his clock will be cleaned by Trump if he was the candidate. Bernie Sanders, clean his clock. Um, uh, Elizabeth Warren, yeah. cleaner clock. I mean, I, I, I just don't see anyone in the top three that could actually withstand uh, Donald Trump. See, I think Bernie can, but his ideas are so radical that I, it, it, he would go. Right. He would admit them, right? Yeah, and that's the problem with Bernie. But Bernie right. can roll in those in those circumstances. Biden also is a fighter. And I think has shown himself in in particular one on one debate moments. He's had he's had moments. I have to tell you, last night he just he, couldn't string sentences when he no. talked about Syria oh, or the tax thing. Oh, the, it was not good. He said he was going to repeal the 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 tax and then he was going to double it. And then I mean, he came up with like three ideas yep. in one sentence. Let's but, go. But last but last time this, I think those two are in a different league than Warren. Warren is is the type of candidate. That Donald Trump can own. If Donald Trump can't beat Elizabeth Warren, he can beat no one in that field. No one. If he can't beat Elizabeth Warren, and they're going to run her out there as the candidate, 
and give him the absolute best chance possible to win this election. Well, it's amazing. They uh, they took her on last night. Yeah. It's going to be a fight now for Ooh. Elizabeth Warren. They were not fighting Joe Biden. I think no. They Warren. all they all wanted his supporters to come over to them. And so they left him alone because he's just sinking in the polls. It is Warren now who's under attack. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed. It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. All right, we wanted to check in with uh, Nick DiPaolo today, and uh, I really wanted to get his uh, view on China and the NBA and LeBron James. I mean, it just seems it just seems ripe for him to pick that out of the tree. Welcome to the program, Mr. Nick DiPaolo, where you can find him at nickdip.com. Hi, Nick. I don't. I we don't have any audio from Nick. I don't know why. Are you there, Nick? Must not be hearing you, it Somebody appears. Hearing me? Okay. This is why you test these things before, and they work yeah. before, and then you get on the air, and they don't it's work. It's like when you go to the doctor, you know, mm-hmm. except it's in reverse. Yeah. You know, everybody is seeing it not work. We went to the doctor, and it was like, it's fine. It's fine. Now? No. Oh, would you get your car fixed? And you bring it in, and you're like, oh, this is rattling when I take a left-hand turn, and then they go drive around oh. with you and just, just look at you like you're Put insane. I just did this with my just did with this with my wife the other day. I was like, my car is making this sound. What what sound is this? And it was making it the whole time while I'm <laughs> saying it to her. And she's like, what sound? And I said, listen. And then nothing. Anyway, Nick, Nick DiPaolo, how are you, sir? Uh, tremendous. Glenn, you look like a professor at Berkeley teaching women's studies. I don't, I don't know why. I don't What's know with why. a turtleneck? I'm, I'm sweating just looking at you. Really? really? Well, I'm, you look like you're in some, I don't even know, Honeymooners <laughs> episode. Uh, welcome to the program. Let's, let's talk about the NBA and the incredible statement from LeBron James. First of all, I didn't know basketball was so big in China. It makes no sense. I looked it up. The average Chinese person is five foot two. <laughs> they should be selling foot ladders and human growth hormones to these people, not uh, not shoes. Right. These guys couldn't dunk if you gave them a cup of coffee and a crulla. Uh, the the NBA, uh, Glenn, to put it mildly, is uh, Nike's bitch. Let's put it that way. The, but the middle class in China is four hundred million people. That's eight hundred million feet. And they sold 150 uh, million pair of sneakers in China. And here's the odd thing. Not one of them was oversized three. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> you know, we, we are, we've been looking at the numbers. And when you look at the numbers as a business person, yes. if you just care about money, you're like, are you kidding me? That I, we could just do business in China and we will be much better off than we are doing business in the rest of the world. But then there's that kind of thing like, yeah, but they are killing people for their organs. Don't we do that over here? <laughs> no. I, so that's I, what I was told by Elizabeth Warren in the debates <laughs> and everything last night. Yeah. Look, Nike, Nike should come up with a shoe next week called the LeBron and only charge people uh, 50% because it will come without a soul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> LeBron, LeBron James knows about as much about China as the guy that makes the Kung Pao chicken at Lean Cuisine. <laughs> and now we're going to Power Fords and the NBA for a geopolitical news. 
And uh, what next? 16-year-old girls on climate change? Come on, what is going on, Glenn? So what do you think? So what should the NBA do? Should these companies... I mean, I just read a story uh, that Google is now doing a Manhattan project for AI with China. And... Uh, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't think anybody who's uh, well, maybe a lot of the people at Google are comfortable with yeah. that. But you would think that you would look at China and go, that's really bad. I think, as you just said, we've sold our soul to the devil for cash. It's everything that the the left says they hate and the right really does hate. But nobody's well, doing anything. Well, you know, Nike is evil. First of all, somebody tell LeBron that, you know, it's a 10-year-old girl chained to a loom for 18 hours a day without a pee break making his sneakers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's going to hang herself with his license. Right. If, you're that, if you're that hard up, I mean, if it's all about money, move the NBA to China. Do, do me a favor. I hate the NBA. I, I, it's the only pro sport I don't follow. I can't follow a, a, a pro sport where what player on what team is determined by who's hanging out with who at the strip club in Atlanta on Friday night. I just, <laughs> I can't stand. Uh, so yeah, move the whole league to China. Do me a favor. And, uh, and this is all because of Yao Ming or Ming Yao. I can't remember what I had last night. <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Uh, let me, let me uh, switch to uh, Portland uh, oh has God. become a, a leader now uh, to show the rest of the world what we need to do with our bathrooms. I would well. First of all, Portland is a bathroom. I wouldn't do. They keep asking me to do comedy there. Why would I go there? They're removing Glenn. They're removing urinals in men's rooms. And you know what the reason is? Because women can't use them. This is the textbook definition of emasculation: making guys sit down to pee, literally. Okay, if that's true, that's why we're removing urinals because women can't use them. I don't want to see any more tampon dispensers in ladies' rooms. I can't use those. It's been 25 years since I got punched in the nose you know, in a bar fight. But, uh, <laughs> right. What, I mean, and, and while you're at it, get rid of the breastfeeding rooms, okay? The closest I ever came to lactating was when I was trying to drink milk watching a Benny Hill rerun. So <laughs> yeah, I, get, get rid of those. And, 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 uh, and, the, and the condom dispensers, I'm guessing condom dispensers are going to be gone. What are, what are single guys supposed to use for, for protection? LifeLock? Bad cologne, <laughs> saran wrap. <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous. All because they can't. And by the way, women can pee standing up, if you know anything about the steel dossier. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have, uh, by the way, we have a whistleblower uh, uh, regarding that coming up in just a, a few minutes. Do you really? Yeah, we have um, we have a guy from the Ukraine who was uh, tasked by the Ukrainian embassy to help the DNC dig up uh, information on Russia and Trump, uh, so everything that they said, wow. yeah, everything they said that was was happening with Donald Trump, they were actually doing. We have this guy. I talked to him yesterday for about ninety minutes, maybe two hours, uh, and he has some amazing things to say. We have that coming up in in. Just a few minutes. When you, when you said whistleblower, I thought we were still on the urinal thing. I, no. you, you have you have contacts with a men's room attendant? <laughs> no, <laughs> the no, tax I, department in Portland. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, uh, let me. Uh, did you watch the debate last night at all? I did. I I, I 
this is how you know I'm not a serious show. I kept uh, flipping back between that and the Yankees and Astros. And uh, but let me say, something I, I think the- Anderson Cooper may have been doing that. <laughs> he is so handsome, isn't he? I would love to see him in a speedo. That guy is delicious. Please, uh, the debates, the debates, the Democratic debate should come with a trigger warning. You know, watching this could induce vomiting. I, I can't. Uh, the last time I saw that many losers on one stage was the Nuremberg trials. And, <laughs> and, and, and Liz Warren took a pounding last night. She, she got hit so bad, she's changing her Indian name to Wounded Duck. <laughs> she I was, haven't seen a, wo- a woman didn't get roughed up like that. Last time a woman got roughed up like that, uh, Clinton was leaving a Motel 6 at 3 in the morning with <laughs> Kathleen Willie. You, uh, uh, you, you watched that last night. And Some of it. You saw, well, I mean, uh, generally speaking, if you watched any of that last night, um, you saw Elizabeth Warren get mad. You saw and and kind of act like Hillary Clinton. You saw uh, Joe Biden get mad and act like Hillary Clinton. And meanwhile, Hillary Clinton is on the sideline saying, you know, I, if if this goes down with Joe Biden, maybe I should get back in. <laughs> Who doesn't get the message? We don't want Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Uh, I think, and I'm dead serious, but I've been saying none of those people are going to be the nominee. It's, I really think Bloomberg's going to get in there, but I mean, Joe Biden, he's still one of the front runners. Did you see him last night? He he had the energy of a chemo patient. He was, uh, he was talking about (laughs) wall street. Wall street is clipping coupons. I've watched the movie wall street 10 times. Not once did Gordon Gecko take a pair of scissors to the penny saver <laughs> to pocket 50 cents on a roll of Charmin. What the hell is he talking about? Oh, you know. and, and then Bernie Sanders, I thought I had a miserable personality. Somebody introduced this guy to a brand muffin. This guy <laughs> is the most unlikable. He, I got to give him credit. Last week he was in the hospital having a matzo ball removed from his aorta, and he's out there still fighting, so we'll give him some credit. I was, surpri- but, I was uh, surprised on how, how well he did last night after having a heart attack. I mean, it's a clear sign that nobody in his life loves him. No, seriously, because anyone in my life, if I were running for president and, and uh, uh, I had a heart attack, everybody in my life would go, you're not going to the debate. And I'd say, I'd have to. You're not going to the debate. Nobody, really? everybody in his family is like, yeah, Dad, you should go to the debate. <laughs> you're really like, we should. don't want you. We don't want you uh, on Thanksgiving. Right. His wife's like pushing him out the door on a dolly. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. He said he said there should be no such things as billionaires, too. That was the other thing that really peed me off. Oh, yeah, billionaires have done such damage to this world. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Branson, uh, Sam Walton. He's just a – look, he's a hippie. He's a guy who didn't get off his parents' couch till he's 65. And uh, he he just it's really all based in envy and it's kind of disgusting to me. So where do you think this uh, where do you think this ends? You think Bloomberg? Because I don't think Bloomberg. Bloomberg is now saying that he wants to get in again. He might he might step back in. It's just nobody wants Bloomberg either. Uh, I don't. If if Biden falls in his he Bloomberg keeps saying if Biden falters. Well, how much more can he falter? He's bleeding from his eyes. <laughs> I know. His, te- his teeth are falling out when he speaks. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, Bloomberg has to get in there because they might start selling, you know, 40-ounce Cokes again at the, right. at the theater. But uh, he's a nanny. He's kind of a swishy nanny. But he's very smart, and he took over, did all right with New York. I was living there when he was mayor. But, again, Giuliani did most of the muscle work there. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't particularly like him, but I can see him having appeal after what they're trying to do and what they've done to Trump for the last 
Uh, they kept saying how unconstant, what he's the most lawless president ever. Didn't Obama put $160 billion on a wooden crate and send it to Tehran? Yes. Didn't Obama create a deep state and spy on Trump while he was running for president? And this guy's the most lawless? What are they talking about? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. When I, when I, I, I about have an aneurysm every time I hear them say that because the press just doesn't look in. I mean, they're already excusing Joe Biden. The, the, the question on Joe Biden's son last night was phrased, you know, this has been completely debunked. But what do you have to say about it? Did you see how he pivoted on that? He pivoted like a second baseman uh, turning a double play. It was beautiful. He's like, we did. Me and my son did nothing wrong. But let's stay on Trump. He's the real crook. That's <laughs> right. as good as he can do after right. 40 years in Washington. Right. And, nice. and nobody, nobody jumped on him. They all, they're all like, we just, we'd say something, but uh, we want his supporters to be our supporters. So we're going to keep our mouth shut and just let him just melt down. No, you're exactly right. They're watching a, a debate on CNN. They're just tossing softballs. Yeah. And, they, and there's no follow-ups and there's no, the, just the tone compared to when, you know, and people make fun of Fox News. But when they do a debate, they actually dig a little deeper. But, you know, that shouldn't surprise us after what we found out about CNN this week. I mean, So I assume that you're talking about uh, Project Veritas and uh, when you said what we found out about CNN. Tell me, yes. t- tell me your view on this. Well, first of all, James O'Keefe is doing God's work. This guy's the greatest journalist ever. But, but you know, did we really have to send somebody undercover to CNN to find out they were anti-Trump? What are we, what are we going to do? What are we going to do next? Infiltrate the WWE to find out if wrestling's fake? I, I, you know, right, right. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to do a sting operation to find out if CNN is crooked. Just go to any Delta terminal and any airport in the country and watch people throwing their Egg McMuffins at the TV right. monitor. I mean, it's really that easy. This, that's one of my biggest fears, Glenn, by the way, because I fly a lot, that I'm going to die in a plane crash. And the last... The last voice i'm going to hear is wolf blitzer in my head or see <laughs> see the face of genie most uh that's my worst <laughs> but i can't believe not- genie most has been on tv forever and most people will have <laughs> no idea who she is until you see her and they're like oh yeah her well- she does those real hard-hitting pieces. Oh, yeah, Panera yeah. is using frozen mac and cheese. Oh, you know, stuff so like bad. that. Uh, so bad. But uh, how, do, how do we not know CNN's corrupt? You know who the voice of CNN is for the last 30 years? Darth, Darth Vader. Vader. Right. Darth Vader. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and don't trust it. You, you never trust a news organization whose star anchorman is named Wolf. Uh, but he's German, and they're great at propaganda. They, right. Wolf Blitzer is really is Zucker's Gerbil. Joseph Goebbels, and, and uh, he's, he's, he's as crooked as a, a rattlesnake with scoliosis, and, but he, he keeps failing upward, this guy. I mean, he trashed CNN, uh, uh, NBC, then he goes to CNN, and, and their ratings are you know, lower than AOC's IQ, but uh, he's probably got to step in and run for president. Speaking of uh, AOC, did you see that uh, all of, all of the, uh, the squad's coming out to stand behind? Except Ringo. Ringo's uh, not yeah, Ringo's not coming. Which uh, one's Ringo? Uh, Presley? Is the, is the Ringo. Oh, she's yes, the one the, that no one knows, and so she's the Ringo. She's like, she, I'm in the squad, too, and you're like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> She'll be crying racism about this. She's the one yeah. who's actually wants to uh, decriminalize shoplifting in Boston. She's quite a piece of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, these people make me want to puke blood. Uh, so, <laughs> but how do you really feel? So they are all getting together today. They're making a big announcement uh, that they are all going to be supporting Bernie Sanders. So it's no surprise um, but 
Well, it is when you think about it. The communists are supporting a socialist, so that's a, it's actually a positive. <laughs> <laughs> are they really? All these women of color are going to support the the ninety? I was looking at Biden, and, and he's right next to Bernie Sanders during the debate. They, they look like a couple of statues that like uh, the Antifa kids would want to pull down. <laughs> no, they're you know what they are? They're the two Muppets up in the balcony. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're the two angry Muppets. <laughs> I hate all of this. <laughs> you know, we can improve this theater. Turn the turn the seats around. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, yeah, they are. Uh, that's exactly who they are. At least the Muppets were funny. These people, the most humorless I have ever. Well, let me ask. Ask you this did you see yeah. what uh Buddha judge said about uh what's his name dave Chappelle? let me, uh, let that, me he wa- can we... that he wants to date him no let, let me play okay. this listen to this part of dave Chappelle's shtick in the last couple of comedy specials he did was deliberately making fun of transgender people i don't want to write these jokes but i just can't stop so should that just be turned off should he not have a netflix deal like so i i didn't uh, i haven't seen the special uh, i will say that there comes a point where you're just straight up hurting people and uh oh, i don't God. know what goal you're hoping to achieve uh Blaster. as much as there's uh, been a lot of political <laughs> correctness there's also this weird way in which it's become fashionable to attack political correctness mm. that I think has become its own weird correctness out there. Yeah, Nick, that's you. He's talking about you. He's a, he's talking about anybody with a sense of humor. He's an idiot. First of all, he's, he's standing on six phone books during that interview. <laughs> uh, it, it's fashionable to go after people who are trying to silence us. Yes, this is the United States. It's something called the First Amendment. I, I can't believe this guy was in the military. I, I, I really can't. Probably just wanted to take showers with fellas, but okay. I can't All believe. Right. Oh, it's a joke. Relax, Glenn. Your people are open-minded. But I, I can't. He's more radical than Obama. He hides it with his little uh, boy's regular haircut and his $3 clip-on tie. But he, you know what, though? Can I just say this? I think he's the most intelligent one of the people that are on stage. I just, I, I can't stand what he stands for. But I, but I actually think he is the most intelligent one up there. He so. could be the guy who rockets to the top if everybody else Bloomberg. Uh, uh, Bloomberg. You're sticking with Bloomberg. <laughs> Glenn, can I plug two gigs real quick? Yeah, quickly. Yeah, go up? ahead. Uh, November 8th and 9th, Kansas City Comedy Club. November 22nd, the Historic Ritz Theater in Brunswick, Georgia. And November 23rd, the Tiff Theater in Tifton, Georgia. And I love you, Glenn. Turtleneck or not, you God, are the God bless fan. you. NickDip.com. Follow him. NickDip.com. Nick DiPaolo. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. In 30 minutes, I'm going to be taking your phone calls on any topics uh, if you want to talk about the whistleblower that we just uh, played audio of, the, an update on uh, what, what is happening with the impeachment and Ukraine and that story, we can talk about that. Also, love to hear from you on what you think is, is happening with the debate and politics and all that. It's open. You can just call 888-727-BECK. Get in line now. Talk to our screeners, and we will uh, do that just in about 30, 35 minutes from now. 888-727-BECK. 
most people, I think, know him for his opera and opera singing. Uh, he also did some television, I hear. It's Mike Rowe. Uh, welcome to the program, Mike. How are you? Glad I'm swell, thanks, You're swell. but not swollen. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, I, I'm a little puffy. I'm a little puffy. Are you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ran into you know, a beehive and uh, either that or I just eat too much. <laughs> uh, you have a new book called The uh, The Way I Heard It, and um, and I want to talk to you about that. But first of all, just good to see you again. Good to hear from you. How, how's Likewise. life going? Life is good. You know, it's, uh, it's a bit like falling down the stairs, making all kinds of progress, taking some bumps and bruises on the way. But uh, overall, I'd be a fool to complain. Yeah. How's your mom? She's great. Thank Good. you. She just Same. finished her second book. She's now officially insufferable, getting an <laughs> agent, crazy. you know, all of it. It's, it's all crazy. It. Micro in our New York Blaze uh, studios. Uh, you, you, this book is, you, you're actually living in many ways the life I would love to live, Mike. Uh, and that is paying homage to uh, Paul Harvey, who is a hero mm-hmm. of mine. And I understand he was a hero of yours. The book's dedicated to him. It wouldn't have happened without him. And uh, I know we've talked about this before, but you know, I was, I was trying to figure out the right intro for the book, and I was thinking about a true story that happened to me uh, back in the 80s where I, I was late for a flight, and I had driven to BWI Airport, and I knew I could make it to the gate. You know, This is before TSA went crazy and, and 9-11 and everything else. I had about 35 minutes, but I couldn't get out of the car because I was stuck to my seat. And I was stuck to my seat because Paul Harvey was in the Mm -hmm. middle of the rest of the story. And I truly, I had to sit there until I heard the magic words, you know? And now you know the the rest rest of the story. So the the way I heard it is is the same basic format. It it started as as an attempt to compress time on planes. So I, I wrote most of these on planes and in diners here and there. And, uh, and that's, that's how it started. It, it, it was a hobby that got a little out of hand, and, and now it's a book. So who does your research? You know, Paul Harvey, most people don't know this, but he would come in in Chicago. He would come in in the dark. He had to do about 20 minutes of broadcast, 25 minutes of broadcast a day. But he would come in early in the morning in the dark, and he wouldn't leave uh, until at least 6 o'clock at night every day of his life. He, he, he struggled for yeah struggled for every word that he pounded out himself on the typewriter. No, it's extraordinary, but but it was the suit and tie part that killed me. You know, the guy's in radio, <laughs> and he he dressed like right. a news anchor, right? And he took, you know, he took his opinion and commentary really, really seriously, and and that kind of storytelling combined with that kind of a voice. Um, Look, I could never hope to fill his shoes, but following in his footsteps has really been an honor. And this yeah. this podcast has has found an audience, and I'm you know I'm tickled to death by that. And uh, you know I don't I don't think I told you this before, but not long after the podcast started, I got a letter from his son Paul Harvey Jr., who who wrote a lot of the rest of the story. Yeah. And I, I thought, oh, no, you know, he's listened to it. There's going to be a cease and desist. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be an injunction. <laughs> yeah. He wrote and he told me that uh, his father was no doubt looking down and giving two enthusiastic thumbs up. And he included a really generous check to my foundation. Mm-hmm. And uh, as compliments go, Glenn, you know, I know you've been paid similar compliments, but that's 
that's about as high as the cotton gets. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm never going to be in the uh, Radio Hall of Fame because of Paul Harvey. Uh, I was hosting the national broadcast for the induction ceremony for Radio Hall of Fame. I've never told this story on the air. Stu's looking at me like, don't tell the story. I don't care anymore. Don't do it. Um, but uh, I was uh, I was asked to do the broadcast for the induction ceremony. It's a national nationwide broadcast and. And uh, so I agreed to it. And the guy from the from the museum uh, uh, came up to me with like four minutes to go. And he said, we're running early. You're going to need to fill for like three minutes. And I, he said, can you do it? And I said, uh, yeah. And then they went five, four, three. And I walked out and I had to fill for three minutes. And in the time that he said, do you, can you fill? And me saying, yeah, I remember that Paul Harvey was in the front row. And, oh, boy. And I said, um, let me just say this on a personal note. Um, it's a dream come true. I'm standing here on stage in Chicago in front of Mr. Paul Harvey. And, sir, it is you that uh, introduced me to the magic of radio. It was you. When I was eight years old, I heard your voice say, Chicago O'Hare. 288 dead and i said i could smell the smoke of the plane i could hear the sirens and it's that that convinced me that the power of storytelling in radio is unlike any other from chicago good night okay that's how i did it i walk off stage and the guy comes up to me and he says you son of a bitch and i said what he said you will never be in the hall of fame never for what you just did and i said what did i do he said you knew sitting at the table is the head guy who was the ceo of eastern airlines on that crash and i said how the hell would i even know that and so this guy who was the ceo of that ad that wound opened up and all i'm trying to do is a phil and say something nice about paul harvey so thanks paul (laughs) wow that yeah that that is a terrific story. Yeah. By way of comparison, I can only offer this: as I sat in the long-term parking at BWI yeah. in 1985, listening to Paul Harvey, I finally got to hear the magic words and the rest of the story. Ran to the gate and missed my flight by 90 seconds. Was it Eastern so, Airlines? <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you? Man? <laughs> Uh, no, uh, it wasn't. It it was in fact uh, United, and uh, and and the plane was still there, Glenn. I could see it, but they had closed the gate, and it was one of the first arguments I ever had in public that I that I felt like I needed to apologize for because I kind of lost it. They they yeah. literally pointed to the plane and said, "No, it's gone," and I and I pointed to the plane and said. But I see it. And said, no, it's gone. <laughs> no, it's, it's gone. gone. It's gone. Yeah. No, uh, it's so gone. The, the book, tell me, tell, tell me your favorite story in the book. Well, it started as a collection of 50 of these Harvey-esque tales. But what happened was I, we cut it down to 35 because my mother, having read it, said, look, these are all terrific, Michael. But, you know, it's a very lazy way to write a book, just putting stories together that you've already read on your podcast. And I said, well, thanks, mother. What do you suggest? And she said, well, how about a little connective tissue in between these these uh, biographies? So I started trying to answer the question, why did I write about whoever it was I just mm-hmm. wrote about? And I tried to make that answer somehow 
rhyme with an event from my own misspent youth. And what, what came out was kind of an accidental memoir. So the book itself goes back and forth between autobiography and biography, mystery and memoir. So you get the rest of the story kind of thing tempered with my own take on why it is I think I might have written about a famous person who I've never met. Mike, how has your life changed since you you left a regular TV show? I mean, you had lots of money in the bank and you uh, didn't even I think you owned a toothbrush, but really nothing mm-hmm. else. You were always traveling. Have you settled down? What is what is your life like now? Well, I still have access to literally hundreds of dollars, Glenn. Um, and uh, <laughs> wow! And I and Good I still travel. I was on the road last year about 220 days. Um, the MicroWorks Foundation happily has exploded. We're 11 years old now. It's We've uh, given over five million dollars in work ethic scholarships to kids who are willing to learn a skill and master a trade. As legacies go, from dirty jobs, I'm I'm awfully proud of that. Yeah. Uh, there's a show on Facebook called Returning the Favor that's a straight-up, unapologetic celebration of bloody do-gooderism that now has 400 million views. Proud of that. Um, Somebody's Got to Do It, which followed Dirty Jobs, found a home for a couple of years inexplicably on CNN, and then against what I'm sure you'll agree are impossible broadcast odds, wound up becoming the number one show on the Trinity Broadcasting Network. That's amazing. So. That's that. It's simply not possible. And now this podcast has 120 million downloads, and it's become a book that I'm told is going to do well. And so, look, I I'm I'm embarrassingly fortunate and uh, still busy, still brushing my teeth, and uh, still <laughs> earning more than I spend. Yeah, good, good, good. All right, yeah. sounds great. Thanks. Mike, great talking to you. Thank you so much. Um, hey, and I haven't ruined my career yet in the National Broadcasting Hall of Fame, so there's still time for that, too. Okay, all right. Because you're way. an inspiration. <laughs> because you are an inspiration. Oh, that's right. I'm an inspiration. Okay. Uh, Mike, thank you so much. Mike Rowe, the hey, name Glenn, of, thanks a lot. You bet. The name of the book is The Way I Heard It by Mike Rowe. It's available everywhere today. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.